Trigger warning. This podcast episode includes graphic references to sexual harassment, violence, and suicide. Adult language is also used. Natasha Fritz is one of less than 2% of female carpenters who are working in the construction industry. In May 2021, she accidentally became the most famous one. I've been asked, are you planning to get pregnant? Obviously, I have been propositioned to sleep with people while at work. I have had people, you know, just inappropriate touching or like getting far closer than necessary. Definitely lots of discriminatory comments or even just things like calling you sweetheart or princess or something like while you're at work working. Fitz had shared an outtake from a construction industry podcast, what some people might consider boy talk, that went viral and was picked up by media outlets internationally. It also sparked a viral conversation about sexual harassment in the construction industry. I spoke with her about why in this moment, using her voice to call out the producers and the hosts publicly was the only choice. I'm Natasha Fritz, and this is a lesson on doing the right thing. Natasha, what is your earliest memory of being creative? I suppose that would be when I was a kid. I did spend a lot of time with my grandpa, and he had a hobby shop on my grandparents' property. He was a carpenter and then when he retired he had built a shop on their property and he would spend most days down there. I would spend a lot of time just hanging out with him down there and I would get little scrap blocks of wood and I could stack them up and then when I got a bit older I remember him letting me use the drill press obviously like with his assistance but that was pretty exciting and then just doing little projects. I remember building a little doghouse for a stuffed animal that I had that was a dog. Oh, cute. I obviously didn't do much cutting. I think I was allowed to try to nail stuff together. And then I remember I painted it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love that. Did you take shop in high school? Yeah, I did. Actually, I took shop all through high school. And then um, at the end of high school, I did kind of like a grade 13 sort of half semester and I ended up doing a co-op with a local cabinet maker who was great. He ran like a small shop, but he did like amazing, massive kitchens and millwork for like multi-million dollar houses. And it was just him in this shop and he would get co-op students to help him out. And I would say that was the first time that I really realized that trades were a legitimate career option just because he had been quite successful with his business. Obviously his work was great, but also he was like financially successful. And that really just opened my eyes that that was a legitimate possibility that I had never really considered before because it wasn't talked about much when we were in high school. Like when you speak to your guidance counselor, they were never like, <laughs> Oh, 
do you want to be a carpenter or a plumber? It was always, what university are you going to go to? And shop in particular and home ec, which I had to take both. And then you got to choose in your senior kind of year, which one you were going to do. But I noticed that it was never about job. You're younger than I am. Were there more girls in shop? Because when I went to school, it was pretty much hands down. There was one girl in shop. All the other girls were in Tomek. Yeah. So ours was similar. You had to take shop in, I think, grade nine only. I do remember that once it became an optional thing, I remember one year I was the only girl. And then another year, I think there were maybe two or three other girls. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to trades college, there was, I believe, seven women. There was less than 10. I know that. You kind of get used to being one of the guys. Yeah, which is kind of a good thing and kind of a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say that? And I personally have fallen into this. It's almost like you're actively participating in your own gender oppression because people are making jokes and you just laugh it off. There are certain things that you just know, well, I'm not going to say that or talk about that because then these guys are going to be like, oh, well, you're being too sensitive or things like that. It's kind of like a weird balancing act, I guess you could say, because you can never just fully be yourself because you're already different and you already stand out. So if you're doing anything that wouldn't be considered acceptable or normal to all these guys, then then it just puts you in this weird position where you're even more of an outcast and you started as an outcast. We talk about visibility on this podcast. Yeah. And we also talk about creative callings and gifts. So we are at a juncture in this moment with the culture where we're seeing a lot of women who have callings that this culture considers unusual, but are actually quite organic to them, really rise and step forward with those. You, you mentioned you were interning with that gentleman. When did you start on your own? And then what has your work life been like as a carpenter? And what do you love about it? I went to a trade school, which was a two-year program. And then after graduating from that, I worked in the field as an employee. I would do sort of weekend jobs of my own or projects on the side. I used most of that money just to buy more tools so I could be more self-sufficient. I did that for probably about six or seven years. And then I've been operating the business for about the same amount of time because I've been in the industry working in the field for about 15 years. And so it's sort of like a half and half kind of thing. I saw you also put that you are focusing on sustainability and greenness as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know here in Canada, the building code, some of the things are just so dated and they need to be updated. One of the reasons why the industry is so difficult to change, especially when it comes to like more sustainable building or better practices, is because it means that they have to change the way they've been doing things. And the way that they do things is how they're making money. So as soon as you change something, it's like this little like, Ripple effect. It's this ripple effect where all of a sudden certain things you're doing, you don't even think about. You just do them. It's like a muscle memory. You know, you do this step, then this step, then this step. 
So if you put in one new step, it totally changes your entire procedure. And I think that's why it's difficult and so many people don't implement it. But you are doing it. It's something I personally am interested in learning about. I have had employees that are super interested in it. And I do try to actively pursue working with companies Mm -hmm. that do that type of work. Yep. But at the end of the day, if I get a contract and the general contractor doesn't do that type of work, then that's not the job that we're doing. This is industry-wide, that there are issues that are experienced because people don't like change, because they fear their profitability will be compromised, and actually not looking to the other costs that are being incurred. But the fact of the matter is, is that change doesn't always have to be more risky. It's just unfamiliar. Yeah. This is a good moment for it. We're here because you had a situation where you were interviewed on a podcast. Industry friends, it sounded like. I had previously been on the podcast. And you know these people. These were people you knew. I had met one of the people. The other two people I did not know. So you were on the podcast. Things go fine. You had a good conversation. Then cut to some months later, they have an episode where some comments were made, some misogynist comments, jokes. Today, things are different. Like if you see a sexy woman on the street when we were 20 years old, you whistle. Today, you even look at them. You got the cops behind you. They're charging you. This is the sad part. It's not hard to believe that these are the comments we're listening to. But we are fortunately at a moment when this kind of comment is no longer acceptable. And it's never been acceptable, but women are not willing to be silent about this anymore. Yes. So basically what happens is you reach out to them offline, I might add, to try to have the discussion. They blew you off a couple of times. And then you decided to make a post about what happened, not even naming them. The post has 55,000 views, 1,100 comments. And I found out about it reading a post from the authors of Women Who Hold Up the Sky, and it basically went viral. And so these jokers decide that they're going to do a class action lawsuit because they claimed you were inciting harassment and widespread hate, which is a joke. You're inciting this by simply posting the news clip of what they said to your site, not even, I again, naming them, but you are inciting harassment? Yeah, apparently that's what I was doing. Did the response surprise you? Yes, the response was shocking. Overwhelmingly so, actually. It was very overwhelming, the amount of response that I got emails, text messages, DMs. I didn't even really realize how far the story had gotten. I'm still learning about how far the story has 
gone. It's global. Yeah. And so that was pretty like, shocking. There have been like good things about it, obviously. Like we're here, we're talking, we're doing this podcast. It started a conversation. The conversation's continuing. It's a conversation that needs to be ongoing in the world, really. There is a case in the United States where a woman, Tierra Williams, she was one of five other women who sued a company, a subcontractor. And what she said was when you didn't respond to them properly, you were always called a bitch, a whore, a slut. There was another comment on the post on your Instagram where it said, before starting seven interiors, she's an interior designer, my previous employer's advice for me to deal with difficult men was to make them think they had a good chance of sleeping with me. And they will always be jerks if they think they have no chance. So I thought it's interesting. There's this idea that we're supposed to respond in a certain way to maintain the equilibrium as opposed to dealing with the behavior. It's very much what you said about, you know, they're not going to change things because it's going to cause a trickle down effect in the process. This is the exact same thing we're experiencing here. Attorney said it's the wild west. He said, there are things that go on that probably haven't happened in American offices in the last 50 years, but in construction, these things are alive and well. Things like requests for sexual acts in exchange for benefits like overtime to physical groping, unwelcome contact, being shown sexually explicit photos. And the reactions were physical violence or retaliation. Now you're nodding because obviously you or colleagues have experienced this. Yeah, absolutely. Of course I have. I don't know that there's... I don't know if there's any woman on earth that hasn't experienced sexual harassment. I don't think that that's exclusive to any one industry. I definitely think that in construction, it it can be much more overt maybe than some other industry. I've been asked, are you planning to get pregnant? Obviously, I have been propositioned to sleep with people while at work. I have had people, you know, just inappropriate touching or like getting far closer than necessary. Definitely lots of discriminatory comments or even just things like calling you sweetheart or princess or something like while you're at work working. You're in Canada, but according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, the construction industry has the second highest rate of sexual harassment in the workforce. Second highest rate. How did you deal with that harassment when it happened? It kind of depended on where I was sort of with myself, with my career, with my level of confidence. I am much less tolerant of it now. I think that that is because I do feel like I am good at my job and proficient at it. And there's no reason for anyone to discriminate against me because I know what I'm doing. And so I think that has instilled a lot of confidence in me to be able to feel like I can speak up more and speak out against it. Going back to the comment of asking me if I was planning to get pregnant, 
I remember that was one of the first jobs I ever had. Well, I mean, I have been asked that question more than once, but this specific first time that somebody asked me that, it was at one of the first jobs that I had. We were sitting there all on break, and I was talking about how my boyfriend and I were going to move in together, and we were looking at apartments. And my boss asked me, well, you're not planning on getting pregnant, are you? And then everyone laughed and I felt horrible. Like it was extremely embarrassing, super inappropriate. I'm not even really sure if I realized in that moment how inappropriate it was because everyone was laughing about it. And so I don't think I really realized how inappropriate it was until much later. But I remember after that happened, I kind of started to really dislike working there. And I slowly just stopped putting in as much effort as I probably could have because it just kind of, I don't know, it just made me feel like I'm this like other person. Is that part of what made you speak up? with respect to the podcast? Like, is that part of the reason that you decided to post? Yeah, we just need to start calling things out more. And we need to talk about them. And we just need to say like, hey, this is not okay. As you said, it was never okay. I'm not gonna fake laugh if someone asks me if I'm planning on becoming pregnant. It's not exclusive to women because the industry is very much so like this toughen up man up like super toxic masculinity the industry and its attitude is almost the like epitome of toxic masculinity and so Mm. if you're a man and you're not like a man's man or you know you say oh well I don't want to do that for these reasons you will be absolutely ridiculed. They will call you all sorts of names, mostly one that starts with a P and ends in a Y. That's funny. I know this culture so well. Yeah. Right. And so that is like inherently toxic to anyone. And like, think of if you're part of the LGBTQIA plus community and you're Mm -hmm. interested in construction is that going to be an environment where you feel like safe, where you feel like you're going to be respected? Probably not. Mm. So I'm sure that there are people that are even men that might be interested in entering the industry, but are scared to for that exact reason, like because the culture is just so toxic. I think too, it's an interesting point that women in construction make 99.1% of what their male Co-workers are earning compared to other industries, so it's it's pretty par. It's on it is. par, right? It is. So there is definite opportunity there, but no, you have to harden up, leave your femininity at the door. Quite frankly, you really do, and that's definitely something that I have fallen into in the past. That whole internalized misogyny, where you have these perceptions that are actually you don't realize have been like placed upon you by your surrounding environment and then you kind of start to wake up to that and realize this isn't actually what I think. How do you undo that? That's an ongoing 
process. Like it's just about trying to be aware of it. So I would say one of the things that I catch myself doing still to this day, and the reason why I do it is essentially there's this idea that, and I've had men in the industry say this to me, they'll be like, oh, well, we hired this woman and she was like this. And because of that, we're never going to hire hire another woman. Right. So it implants or it has in me this idea that if I make a mistake, then I have made a mistake that is ruining the opportunity for all the women in the industry. It's, it's ruining it for all the women. So then if I see another woman in the industry and they're doing something and I think, well, oh, that's a mistake or that's not how you conduct yourself in this space. If you keep doing that, you're going to ruin it for all of us. And that is fully an internalized misogyny that I have from working in the industry. This perception of if you are a woman and you're coming into the industry, this is how you have to be. And if you can't be this, then you're going to ruin it for all of us, which is ridiculous. And anytime I say it out loud, I'm like, that's the stupidest thing you've ever said. Why would you think that? But it's from being told that. Using your voice in this way, it was really brave. I don't know that you would define yourself as courageous. I would not. I really didn't think that I did much of anything when I did it, if I'm being honest. I still struggle to kind of see like the big deal of it all in some ways. I think what's interesting is that the U.S. construction industry has a skilled labor shortage. This is something that they've been talking about at conferences for the past like, you know, four or five years that I've been going and that the average age of the workers are 55. They're aging out, right? So that is a certain generation at the heart of this kind of masculinity. And there's a gap in 2021 of 430,000 new workers required. I mean, it's fascinating. Yeah, we're facing major labor shortages in Canada as well. And there's all these promotional campaigns going on here of like, oh, we need to get people into the trades and all this stuff. But I actually don't think that there's an issue with getting people into them and to be interested into them and to want to start in them. I think the issue is long-term retention. People aren't staying because it's so difficult. Like Mm -hmm. it's hard to find a good employer, an employer that's going to pay you well, an employer that's going to be respectful, an employer that's even just going to let you like leave early because you have to go to the doctor or whatever. And then, you know, you add on top of that, this toxic work environment, it's already hard work. It can already be unsafe or uncomfortable because it's dusty or what other reasons. So why add this like toxic attitude? Yeah. And millennials aren't, they're not up for it. (laughs) They're just not interested. We like got the memo life. They, I mean, we folks, we know I'm not a millennial, but (laughs) the idea is that they're not staying around. And, and honestly, life is too short for all of us. And I think here's the issue is that there are no policies, unfortunately. There 
is not a desire to change. I mean, from that clip, the guy's talking about reaching out and grabbing something. Now, mind you, we just had a U.S. president who reached out and grabbed something, and that was really celebrated as well. So there is definitely a contingent. I, I feel like that particular plumber needs to move to the United States. There definitely is a contingent of men who operate in this way, but there are just as many who have daughters and wives and sisters, and they're dealing with it too. There's no real protocol for this. There's corporate ways to handle sexual harassment that have not been adopted inside of the construction industry for various reasons. And that lawsuit I mentioned, it's supervisors who were offering the sexual favors, right? Yeah. It's management. I, what you did was so important because it opened the opportunity for conversation. Not only did we see people who were open about their experience, but you know that just as many people who didn't comment, well, I know this from just my work, also read and were either validated or called out, or we're having this discussion because I know a lot of people were having this discussion offline. And I was asking them to ask their male colleagues what they thought of this. And the men were not on board. If they had apologized, if they had used it as an opportunity to even have an uncomfortable discussion, to even say, why do you think it's okay? This is not okay with me because X, Y, Z. Like if one of them had actually even called out how many dudes, and it has to be dudes calling out dudes, right? How many would have actually had an opportunity to admit they were wrong or maybe see a different side to this conversation? Absolutely. It, it does have to be men calling out men. Because if men listened to women, then we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And the other thing I wonder is you had mentioned, you know, they shared it with their male colleagues and they weren't on board. And that's great. But if they had been in that room, would they have said something? Or would they have just laughed with the rest of the guys because they didn't want to be the odd man out? Yes. And this is a very good point. We had a an episode called Changing the Conversation. And it was great because our guest would go into major league football players rooms, right? And have this conversation with the players about sexual harassment, about treating women a certain way. And one of the lines she gave them was like, Hey, we don't do that. We don't do that, bro. Just that simple. Hey, we don't do that. So that they had language to use and I think that is something that could be really helpful here is what language do you use when you're in a situation that isn't comfortable? Because there are a lot of us standing around going, sucks. It's usually that one bully who's like leading everybody. And if two or three people just kind of voiced up, we might have a whole sea change in the way this operates. Yeah, Absolutely. Ultimately, number one, it's not our responsibility as women to like justify our existence as equal human beings because that's nobody's responsibility. There are some men who might even say something, who might even not think what they used to. They don't even know like, am I going to be forgiven? Is it, am I going to look like an ass if I say something? When meanwhile, 
we need that space too. So we need to give them the language, but we need also the space for, you know, you this up and we're going to yeah. forgive you. You can still move on from this, which is what I said. They, they had such a powerful opportunity there to, to model real leadership by saying, God, we really this up. Let's do an episode where we talk to somebody about how to clean this up, but that's not their goal. No, apparently not. I do think that one of the biggest things that a lot of men miss when we have this discussion about gender equality or feminism or whatever label you want to put on it is that the overarching theme would be beneficial to them as men as well. Because if we think about what gender roles are meant to be, so like women are supposed to be, you know, quiet and submissive and, you know, weird things that are kind of like pedophilic <laughs> as far as weird how is good. <laughs> yeah. as far as how women are supposed to look, etc. That's a whole separate issue. And then if you look at what men's roles are supposed to be, they're supposed to suppress their emotions. Right. And they have to be tough and they have to provide for everyone and all this stuff. And that sounds equally terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds extremely unhealthy. Right. And if we look at data about men and men's mental health, like men's mental health is like in the dumpster. It is like a crisis situation. The number of men that are committing suicide and all the mental health issues they have, etc. That is a direct correlation with like what their gender roles are meant to be because it's not healthy to only be able to express anger. Right. Because if we're being honest, that's the only emotion that men are are technically able to express. Or authoritative. Yes, or authoritative, like, which authoritative. I mean, yeah, to me is just like, it's, yeah. like well, it's, a, it's anger, anger light. light. Yeah. <laughs> but do you think that there's such a thing as feminine leadership? And if yes, what would that look like in in our industry, in this industry? All forms of leadership could just do with a bit more empathy. I know that empathy is something that's predominantly associated with feminine, but yeah. I think everybody could use a little bit more empathy in their lives. Mm-hmm. It's important to try to consider other people and how are your actions going to impact them what are your values? Are your values only about yourself? There's nothing wrong with being about yourself. I mean, ultimately we all are. Right. But the way that I try to look at it is I always try to think of when I was in a non-leadership role, what were things that other people who were leaders at that time, what did they do that I greatly disliked? I'm going to try to do the exact opposite of whatever those things that they were doing are or what's an example of someone who was a leader in my life and I did like what they did or what they did really helped me and it really helped me to improve myself or it gave me confidence or it moved me forward. With every interaction that you have with people, there's an opportunity to learn something. Even if it's a negative interaction, there's still something to be learned, something about yourself most of the time. What did you learn from all of this? 
the importance of doing what you believe to be correct and right, the importance of trusting your gut. I just think that if you try to do the right thing, it'll probably work out in the end in your favor. So you would do this again? Yes. Yeah. What is the most memorable or best thing that you've taken away from this experience? And then what's the worst thing about all of that visibility that has come from this? I would say that the best thing is just the connections. A lot of people shared some of their experiences with me. Some people made them publicly on the post in the comments, but I also got a lot of private ones, which is incredible and very courageous of people to share that with me. The other side of that is that it's also like very taxing. And then you feel like this responsibility. I don't know how many DMs I got, but I made sure as soon as I saw how many people were sharing their stories with me, I made sure to go through every single DM that I received and respond to it because I didn't want to miss someone's story that they were telling me because that deserves of validation. Mm-hmm. And for all I know, maybe they've never told anybody else this story and they just told me. So that was really important, but it was also quite overwhelming and kind of a little stressful because I felt this obligation, I have to make sure I respond to everyone. So yes, that <laughs> kind of <laughs> kind of the same thing was it's good. It's the same and this, thing. I do feel that as well in the work that I do, but I do agree with you that it is very important. My first career, I remember doing a show and I was playing girl who was in an abusive kind of home situation. And so it was an educational piece and we had people disclose to me after because they felt that I really understood their story. There was also counselors present, which was good, but yes, it was very important for me to connect and hold that space. And I didn't even know that's what I was doing then. Now I understand that so fully in the work that I'm doing and also how to create separation because yes, you're coming at as a, as a lay woman. And what a beautiful gift that you've opened this conversation that we're even having this opportunity to continue it. I would say, I do feel like there's hope because when I saw how many comments were even for having this conversation, how many people did disclose, I thought, This is going to make really powerful change. And again, it's not about making the human wrong who has fallen prey to the culture in the way that you have too, right? We've internalized it that I have as well, right? And undoing it. But that there is another way to be that actually is more joyous for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels better. It feels better, not just for the women, for all of us. It makes a better environment for everyone. So Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't want that. Would you complete the sentence? My wish for every other woman is self-assuredness and self-confidence and just knowing that you're capable of doing whatever you want, regardless of what anyone tells you.
One in four women in North America will be sexually assaulted during her lifetime. And those are the statistics that are reported. If you or someone you know has experienced sexual harassment or assault in the workplace or at home, you can get help 24-7 by calling the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-HOPE. If you are a company looking for additional actionable steps to reduce sexual harassment in your organization, visit leanin.org forward slash sexual dash harassment. They also provide advice, information, and support for harassment survivors and for anyone who wants help. In the show notes at voicelessonspodcast.com, we've included resources for both Canada and the United States, including how to file a formal complaint. You are not alone. Help is here for you. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. Our music was created by singer-songwriter Claire Hamill. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at voicelessonspodcast.com. Oh.